podcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. So I don't understand. So, okay, Tim, just, just wait for the chorus. It all makes sense. <laughs> all I see is Carlton doing the dance. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, I know. Just and the new wave it. haircuts and buttons on my knapsack. Yeah, it's the 80s. It's, you know, you've got this Ferris This is the Bueller. worst decade of music. I'm telling you. It's not. Oh, come on. YouTube, Midnight Oil. Compared to the 70s? Here we go. Lies, lies, lies. Okay, lies. He's excited. Tim's excited about this because he's like, he's like, hey, this song matches with our next guest. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here in Southern Ontario. Enjoy 1250. The Periscope live video stream app may be working. So if you'd like to, live, it may not. If you'd like to be staring at me during this interview, uh, that would be awkward. Our last hour of the show, which comes up just after 4 o'clock, is a great time to tune into the Periscope app because you will see our recording artist performing live in studio, Mackenzie McCrewer. Will be uh, will be the the dude today. Dude. Spanky Taylor is an ex Scientologist and former liaison to John Travolta. I wonder if that moniker sits well with her. Going clear, Scientology in the Prison of Belief is a 2015 documentary film about Scientology. It's based on Lawrence Wright's book Going Clear: Scientology, Hollywood, and the Prison of Belief. During this expose, eight former Scientologists are interviewed. Among them, Oscar-winning director Paul Haggis. Uh, the church's former second-in-command, Mark Rathbun, the former head of the church's Office of Special Affairs, Mike Rinder, who we may be getting on the show next week, and uh, actor Jason Beggy. I think I asked this a little while ago. I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but anyway, this guy named Jason, who's an actor, he's really good, and former liaison to uh, John Travolta, uh, Sylvia Spanky-Taylor. That's This is all stuff I think I took off of Wikipedia. That's the kind of research, the thrilling, intricate research that I do on the show. Uh, Spanky became interested in Scientology when she was in her early teens because of the guy she met in a band. Spanky, we got to talk about this band first of all. Uh, the band People. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> they, the band was wonderful. They're brilliantly talented boys. Was that, um, Tim, was that the band that Larry Norman had something to do with back in the day? Yes. But there you go. It was, Spanky? Yes, it was. Did Larry you? Norman was the original lead singer in People. I thought so. When I heard that, I thought, I know this. So did you hang out with Larry at all? Yeah, I knew him quite well, yes. And I wonder why Larry never got into Scientology, because, you know, if anybody was going to get into something crazy, crazy like Scientology, it would have been Larry, I think. <laughs> oh, he steered clear, and as a result, um, ended his friendship with the other band members, because they became members, and he didn't. And so then, of course, they had to disconnect from him. Wow. You know, there's something I never knew. And I i mean, I had one of the longest interviews with Larry Norman ever. We went for about an hour and a half. Of course, uh, he died a few years ago. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the godfather of, uh, of Christian rock and uh, quite formative in my early years of, of uh, God stuff and God music. So that's really interesting that you knew Larry Norman. Yeah, he was he was a wonderful guy. That's neat. That's this neat. This moment in musical history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Spanky, um, a, a pleasure to have you on our show, and you know we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's just dive right into it. Well, I'm grateful for you inviting me on your show, so thank you. Well, the, we're we're in the mutual admiration society right now. So they say that if uh, someone's going to um, stay in a faith, 
for you know uh, the rest of their life. It's better to get them when they're a teenager believing in in whatever it is. Uh, and I've heard that in the in the Christian scene, but it, it it seems to be true of all things. And you know the the those are the most formative years. You're you're the most vulnerable and pa- uh, malleable, and and uh, and and yet. Uh, I want to know when you were 14 and 15, that age, was there bad stuff going on in your life that you needed to reach into something like Scientology, or or was life peachy for you? Well, I I don't think I, I was like 13 when I first was drawn to it, but I don't think there was anything tremendously bad in my life. I think I had a really healthy childhood for the most part. I was raised in a very Catholic family, but I wanted the world to be better. You know, we were facing uh, um, the the war was it was just pre-Vietnam War and everything, you know, it was really the time of going up and thinking you know, the establishment was wrong and we had to come up with a new way and um, the, the grave strike was going on and I felt that there was such um, unjust things happening in the world and this law offered a solution to me, at least that's the way it was presented, that we could really help people. Hmm. Well, that makes total sense, yeah. So, um, uh, what would you say over your, uh, you were in Scientology for how many years? Well, I got involved when I was very young, and then I took a break for a while, just because I just wanted to experience a bit of life and finish high school. And then the minute I was out of high school, I joined this, it's called the C organization, it's the fraternal part of the church. Right. And, um, and so... Uh, I don't know, a number of years, and then I was in the Sea Org for several years. So of all of the years that you were part of Scientology, can you look back on on any moments and say, you know what, those were great moments. What was the best, the highlight of your time in in Scientology, if I could ask it in such a way? Um, I have to tell you, much of what I was in the group, because you're very sheltered and it's very insular, and all my friends were members, and eventually I married a, a man who, or a young man who was also a member, and and you're kind of sheltered away from real life. It, as much as you thought you're going to get in there and get dirty and fix things, you were really it's indoctrinated into not even looking or having your critical thinking faculties stripped away. So I thought I was happy for a number of years, but I never stopped to consider what was going to become of my life or what was becoming of the lives of other people, other than they were just pursuing their spiritual freedom by giving lots of money and working really hard. And we had to continually get more people to give more money. And um, and I thought, well, that was all good because it was all for the good of the galaxy, the universe, whatever. But it, in fact, wasn't. And and when it got dark for me, it got really dark. I, I lost a person who was very close to me, who was my mentor in the group. This is this is I Yvonne. Yes, Yvonne Gillum was her name, and then Yvonne Chanch. She was an extraordinary human being, and and I did learn a lot. And I was very blessed to have worked so closely with her because she she really cared about people. And it was before the days of any physical violence or anything like that, which I understand has come to be the case now. Mm-hmm. But um, but she was pretty fabulous, and I loved working with her, and and um, and I got great joy until I didn't. You know how that is until all of a sudden it's not so great. And she took ill, and I saw the blatant neglect of her situation, and so. Well, I, let's I, let's just I, talk I, a little I, bit about that because her situation was she was very very ill, 
and she needed some medical help. And you would reach out to Scientology, to the leaders, and said, look, we need to do something about this now. And they decided that they didn't really need to do anything now, and it, inevitably she died. Yes. Well, they, I, I, at the time, because I was so deeply ingrained in the mindset, whether it was medical help or even their own stuff that they believed that she should get the help she needed within Scientology. They wouldn't even do that. So then I was just felt like I threw my hands up in the air and I got very, um, uh, I got just mouthy and nasty and, and, and really objected loudly to her lack of care. Right. And, and I paid the price for that by getting put into the prison camp. And, and, uh, the rehabilitation project force. So the prison camp would look like what? Well, we were kept in, um, there were like bunks in a room where we slept. Many, many, many bunks. Because when I was there, there were like 200 of us in, on the rehabilitation project force. Um, I think in retrospect, I believe it was an attempt to take anybody with any altitude off their position to prevent an upcoming mutiny because the organization was going to be taken over by this new leader, um, in time, who's a young man named David Miscavige, who to this day runs the organization. And all when I got there, it was so many of the exact strata of the organization from all over the country. They were all in the prison camps. So I just went, well, uh-oh, this doesn't look right to me, but... There's a... I guess the, the, the part of your story that people really kind of lean in towards uh, would be the fact that you needed to escape with your daughter Vanessa. Is that is that how it kind of went down? Yes. Um, when, when I was in the organization, I, I did a lot of things in public relations and with the Scientology recruitment angle. Um, and um, so I of course had a, a very different life than the other Sirug members because I got to go out and I had a lot of people that I knew that weren't members um, in the real world. <clears throat> and then when I went in the prison camps, I realized I, I went to see my daughter one day. Um, I was doing work detail at this place called the Cadet Org where the children were kept. And and it was so it was so disgusting to me and I decided I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. So I had to figure out a plan to get away and to get my daughter. I was also pregnant at the time, so I, I didn't want my children raised in this. And um, so I, I went and, and abducted her. I mean, I had to plan it out, but I, and I arranged to have someone meet me, um, and, and I ran away. There are those that have heard your story, Spanky, and you would know this, who would, who would say, oh, come on. That's not really how it went down. I mean, even your husband, your ex-husband, uh, uh, w- would say that, you know, this is just... By the way, is he still in Scientology? Yes, he's very much a member, yes. And he's one of the, the lawyers, one of the, I don't know, 7,300 lawyers they have working for them? Um, I don't know that he works for the organization as an attorney. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I, so. Oh, I haven't talked to the man in nearly 30 years, so I, I don't know. But I do know that he certainly participates participated in trying to discredit me because of my participation in the film. Your, do your children have any uh, connection with their father at all? No, not right now. Presently, there's none. He hasn't spoken to my daughter 
boy in almost 20 years and my son he spoke to him a wee bit but I'm sure he's not speaking to him now because my son went to see the film and and you know he had he had made it very clear that if my son were to disconnect from me they could have a relationship but my son's he doesn't want to do that. So, so let me, uh, again, I just want to be clear on this, because this is a bit of a litmus test for me, and quite possibly many others as well. So what I hear you saying is that your children, even if they wanted to connect with your with their dad... Which they very much did. I mean, my son, oh my God, he pined away for a father forever, sure. you know? So, uh, but... but their father has said, I can't have anything to do with you until you disconnect from your mother. Well, at one time he gave it that he was very clear about that. But then <clears throat> he finally reached out to my son, and and my son was so excited. And then the film came out, and then then it was made really clear. I mean, he was very very um, blatant about how he disagreed greatly on what I did and how a te- what a terrible person I am. And yeah, but what does that have to do with his relationship with his kids? Well. You've got a good question there because I can't figure it out. But he thinks that that uh, I, I guess that I'll poison their minds. But he believes I've really forfeited any spiritual feature they have at all. Yeah, but oh, okay. I, I have so many yeah buts. It's not even funny when it comes to this kind of thing because as a dad, nothing would keep me from my children. Nothing. I understand. Oh, I so understand. I and me that I mean nothing could keep me from my children. Nothing. Hmm. Well, to be fair, we've just heard your side of the story. We don't know his side of the story, and he may have something else. But the reality is, well, if, we, if, nothing, if nothing separates you from your kids, then nothing should separate you from your kids. That means even if you think your ex-wife is, you know, loopy or whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, eating babies for breakfast, it should matter. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, well, I understand, I yeah. understand. But he, you know, it was, it was so odd because when he um, was... When he agreed with the organization to do what he could to discredit me, or as I would say, to slime me, um, he made this video and he said, oh, my daughter had wonderful care and, and I love my baby so much and I would take her out on the carriage rides every day or on the Yeah, I, saw, I watched that video. Uh, and it's like, I have people call me and say, really? Because they had kids there too. Spiky, oh my God, it was so awful. And they all, we all know what it was like in the Kedora. And how could he do that? How could he, he was there too. I, I just can't think with it. Yeah. But if that's the way he sees that, that's fine. And for this daughter that he professes to love so much, he hasn't spoken to her or reached out to her yeah. for 20 years. And that's his choice, not her choice. Yes. Okay. Well, well that's... she hasn't, she hasn't pursued him either, but, but she. No, but it's but his responsibility. Yeah, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't turn away from him and yeah. out to her. She would say, "Don't speak to me. You know, you're jeopardizing my future." Whatever. She would just go, "Oh hi," like, as my son did. My son, where he really wanted a relationship with his father, and then when he got with him, you know, he he said, "Dad, you can believe whatever you want, and that's fine." And then he said, "Mom, you know, he's a good guy, but guess what? He can't read a book. He can't think for himself. It's so tragic." That seems rare. That seems mm, that doesn't seem to align with who Scientology recruits. Uh, they, uh, he's a smart man. Yeah, he, my husband was a, is a very smart man. He's an attorney. We're on the phone with Spanky Taylor. She is an ex Scientologist and a um, well. Let's talk to you about this former liaison to John Travolta. That's kind of an interesting moniker to hang on you. Um, I, when I, when someone says that, you hear someone. You know, I just said it. 
former liaison to John Travolta. What kind of memories does that bring up for you? Well, you know, I think John Travolta is a really good guy, and I have very fond memories of him. And it's and it's sad to me that he's still in the group because, but of course he would be because he doesn't he doesn't create an access for himself to what the truth is, the other side. In other words, I think people, if they want to be members, they should be members, but I think they should take time to see the other side. But once you're a member, you're not allowed to look at the Internet or anything critical of the organization, ever. And you don't. Hmm. Which means that Tom Cruise has never seen the replay of him jumping on the couch on Oprah. Well, I'm sure he knows he jumped on the couch, and I, I'm sure, I mean, there's stuff that you know that you did, but things that the organization does that are things that you probably would never agree with. You know, I, I, um, I'm mixed in, in this part of the conversation. Part of me sort of feels, you know, I, I, and the reason I, I, I want to talk to you about this in this way is because I sense that you still have, and you've already expressed it, a, a, a fondness for John Travolta. And oh, and for most of the members that I knew there, I'm more talking, even my ex-husband is a really good man and a stand-up guy. I can't even imagine why he is so completely deluded by this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't have any, I want only the best for all of them. And we're talking good people with good intentions for the most part. I mean, I, I don't know the people that weren't there when I was there sure. or in power when sure. I was there. But the people I knew were good people. Was part of your job description, Spanky, uh, you know, you were responsible for recruiting celebrities a little bit or a lot? Sure. Yeah, sure. So what would what would you do? I mean, like, for example, with Priscilla Presley, what, what all happened there? Like, how would you try to recruit Priscilla Presley? Well, um, with Priscilla specifically, um, who's another extraordinarily wonderful person. She does seem she, like it, yeah. Yeah, she's really good, um, as, as is Lisa, her daughter, but who was very young at the time. Um, but what there is an exact formulaic way to recruit someone in Scientology. And I was assigned, she had, her Elvis had gone into one of the missions on Sunset Boulevard years earlier and had bought a couple books. She came across them after Elvis's death, and she was curious as to what this was about. She asked John what it was about, and he said, I have someone who can talk to you about that, and asked me to go meet with her, which I did. And then I went and did this, these steps that are taken to recruit someone, and I applied them perfectly, and she was ready to walk in the door. So then I marched her in the organization at the end of our lunch. Well, she was a couple-hour lunch, but and I got to know her well and got to like her a great deal, and I think she did me as well. But was it at a time where she was grieving over Elvis's death? Well, it was, um, I yeah, I think it was. I mean, he had, they had been apart. They hadn't been mar- married for a couple years, but he had just died, I believe, that year or the year before. And I don't think she was targeted like, oh, here's a woman who's super vulnerable, let's go get her. And I think, I, at least in my head, it wasn't ever presented that way. And it was just like, oh, it would have been anybody. It could have been you sitting in a restaurant, and I would have sat and talked to you and, you know, proclaimed the benefits of Scientology and how it could change your life and help you with whatever problem you had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
You know, earlier in the show, we um, we spoke with Jim Beverly, who, of course, is facilitating this conference up here. And, and he mentioned that when you get to uh, certain levels, and this is the impression I'm getting, because I'm not a Scientologist, nor have I been involved with many who are Scientologists, but I've been explained this numerous times. The further up you go in the in the chain, the more things are revealed to you. Is that true? Absolutely. Okay, so when you get to OT level 3, for example, uh, it was explained to me that the secrets of the universe would be revealed to you. Is that true? You know, Drew, it's a huge bait and switch. You're told this is all about the mind and the reactive mind, and, you know, you're going to uh, eradicate the reactive mind, only to go, you know, pay a lot of money and find that what's really going on, what's causing the world's problems, is these aliens, these aliens from 75 million years ago that are all over your body, hundreds of thousands, and in your body, hundreds of thousands of them, and they are causing the world's ills. And so in the later part of the bridge, it's called the bridge, these steps are taking up on this pyramid, this pyramid kind of structure. And as you get higher up the pyramid, then at the very top, you're doing nothing but exercising these entities from your from your person. Has has the found? <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, you yeah. Know, like it's like, yeah. Oh, I know it's kind of out there. No, no, yeah. But listen, I mean, I've, I every faith tradition has things that make people who are outside that faith tradition t- tilt their head to one side and go, "What?" So, Absolutely. E- I mean, I mean, however, yeah. as a Christian or as and most of their belief systems, as Tony Ortega pointed out in the film, you can find out what the what they 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 subscribe to, what their belief system is, but not in Scientology, not until you pay the money, right? And until you're you're very invested emotionally and heavily indoctrinated, and then you get to find out what these secrets are. Yeah, it's a bit of a club. And and see, here's the thing: these guys branded themselves brilliantly from the start by calling themselves a church. Well, when I got involved, in all fairness, it wasn't a church. It was called a Applied Religious Philosophy. Right. Only later, once I was in the Seorg, one day, oh, all the crosses went up and people had to put on college. Oh, we're going to be a church now. And I guess, you know, it was like, oh, okay, whatever. And people have to do the minister's course because now we're going to be at church. And okay. All right. Uh, we are on the phone with Spanky Taylor. Uh, she is an ex-Scientologist, uh, formerly is on to John Travolta. You know, it's the John Travolta thing. Eh? You know, if you were just an ex-Scientologist, would people care as much about your story? I think it's the, the connection that you have to all these celebrities that people are very, that, you know, it makes you uh, just ridiculously interesting. Drew, <laughs> uh, um, I have to tell you, um, I was kind of lucky to to work with Johnny because he's such a good guy, and it gave me great privilege within the organization as well. But I have to tell you, it I feel my story is not unique. What I went through, it's in terms of suffering and and seeing what my kids went through, it happens every day, thousands of times a week, probably in that group, and and it's tragic. But I um I did. It came with some privilege, of course. And and I don't know. I I think I was and Priscilla, of course, as well, because you know I took care of her and got her in, and um, so it was very good for me as well. But um, not so good for me in the end. It, it translated to nothing, and um, in terms of privilege, because you know I was just 
a number and was going to go down with the rest of them if I stepped out of line, which I did. I got very insubordinate. What kind of cookies did you send to John Travolta? Well, I brought, I made him some um, whole wheat chocolate chip cookies, which I used to bake for him. And when I went, <laughs> how did you know about that? Oh, I went to Dallas. How did you know about that? <laughs> oh, I think I read it somewhere or saw it somewhere. It might have been in Tony Ortega's uh, uh Oh, yeah. Post. I went, I went, when I, after I left the group and the first time we saw each other again, it was in Dallas. He was doing Urban Cowboy or it was in a town called Pasadena, Texas. And I went there to chat with him and to recover him because he hadn't been involved for a bit. And, um, and it was my way of getting in good graces with the organization again as well cookies can get you a lot of places let me tell you (laughs) so yeah so anyway i went i baked him a batch of cookies and i took that with me yeah that's fun you know i have a friend who uh was in urban cowboy with john travolta oh who's that uh madeline smith osborne Oh, yeah, she, she was the lead, right? She was the yeah, that's right. She was the uh, the the dark haired. She's what a beauty. Yeah, she still is. Yeah, lovely, lovely lady. She might be listening now. She does listen to the show. So, Madeline, hi. hi. Um, we're talking about John Travolta. It's so strange, you know. Boy, I could just talk with you forever. But let me ask you: when it comes to getting out, Spanky, do you think that somebody needs to be deprogrammed, or can they just leave? It's it's a very difficult process. I mean, you can just leave, but it takes you, it depends how long you were in and how indoctrinated you are because you still think within those parameters for a very long time. And, and that, that decompressing process takes a while, sometimes years, mm. until you start thinking straight without the restrictions that you were under and the, the mindset that you were involved in, in so, for so long. It's it's heavy indoctrination. You know, I I can relate a little bit because in my journey through the Christian faith over 30 years, I think back to when I would walk by—this is so embarrassing to admit—but I would walk by health food stores and smell incense, and immediately, because of the stuff I was taught in in the Christian scene, I would think, oh, that's an evil place. It's an evil place. There are demonic spirits in there because I smelled incense. That's—you know, come on. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I mean, I understand how that happens. Yeah. It's like, as a Scientologist, you go, oh, my God, there's a gay person. That means that they're covertly hostile. And they're, you know, I mean, you just, there's all this um, labeling of people. And, you know, the WOGs, the, non, the non-Scientologists, they're called WOGs. And which it's just, it's just uh, it's objectifying everyone. That person is degraded, that homeless person. And that person, and that person pulled it in, that person is connected to evil people. And that person, I mean, you're objectifying everyone. So I understand the incense thing. It's such a, uh, you know, a little thing, but I understand how that happens. It's sad. You know what? This, what we're talking about is the stench of judgmentalism. Oh, totally. Can you imagine to look at the less fortunate? You know, I was raised in a household that there was truly a there but for the grace of of God go I mentality. And now I'm in a group that, oh, my God, that person, they're degraded. Oh, they, they, they deserve that. They pulled it in. Oh, that's, you know, how do you do that to people? How do you ha- be so heartless that you won't help a person and give them some uh, some money for food? And when there's such poverty in the world, how do you do that? But in Scientology, it's done every day. 
there's something about your spirit that I really, really um, gravitate to. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, you have worked with numerous celebrities over the years. I think there's just something kind of kind of neat. There's a there's a word from the 60s, kind of neato about you. But I I was going to stop there, but I just it, it seems like it's a good time to ask you this. And I, I, I should have prepared you for this question. But and you tell me just I'm not real sure. Or I don't want to talk about it. I'm wondering how many ex-Scientologists ever get into another faith. Because when you've been, you know, when it's, you have been screwed over, that's what you've been, the feeling is, you've been screwed over for so many years. Like a friend of mine, Tal Backman, who, uh, who's a singer-songwriter up here in Canada, his, his dad is Randy Backman from BTO, and uh, yeah. um, taking care of business, the whole thing. Well, he did the research on the Mormon stuff, and he feels he, he, he and his family were just hoodwinked for decades. Um, and and now it's really hard for him to <laughs> kind of trust any other faith tribe out there. You know what I mean? Well, I know it, because I've done you know I've done so much um, work in the anti cult world in terms of seeking my own recovery and trying to get a life back over the years. But I in this research I found that a great number of people leave cults and go into other other. Um, groups like this. It's called, it's termed as cult hopping. So first they do this and then they go jump into another thing and then they do another thing. And, and because I think you're kind of accustomed to that. Well, so you'll leave one thing and go into another thing. Sometimes more outrageous, sometimes less, it doesn't matter. But until you kind of find your own ground and you know, water kind of reaches its own level, and yeah. you kind of find your people that you agree with in terms of your own morality and um, compassion and so on. You know, I, I'm not sure how I would answer this question. I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure there's a God, I, and anybody that is 100% sure there's a God, I'm just not sure about anymore. Um, so, But I, I hope there is a good, loving creator of the universe. How do you feel about God stuff? I, well, I definitely believe there's a higher power. I do, I believe in a, I don't know, do I believe in a personal God? I don't know. Yeah. But I think, I think we're all connected, and I think there is a wholeness uh, in the world and the universe, and I, I definitely believe there's um, a God or, or that's, you know, if there wasn't, I couldn't have continued to land on my feet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel I've had so many blessings, even what I've gone through. I, it's so hard. I'm sorry. Um, it's just hard to think that there isn't something that's that's been um, kept me buoyant through all of it. I love how you finished this interview. That was perfect. Be- I knew you had the heart that I thought you had. <laughs> oh, just beautiful. Thank you. I love the hope that's in you. Thank you for uh, your time, Drew. Smanky, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. All right. It's my pleasure. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Folks, Spanky Taylor on the Drew Marshall Show. Fun name. We didn't even get into uh, uh, how she got her name. She her name's Sylvia. Yeah, like nickname that. in high school she got it. But ex-Scientologist, formerly is on a John Travolta, and a fascinating person. Well, she was featured in Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. That's a 2015 documentary film about Scientology. HBO just released a little while ago, and it's just taken off. Oh, yeah.
Sick of your pastor, minister, rabbi, or imam preaching every single weekend? Want to get rid of them? Then it's time to give them the Cranberry Village experience. Look, we all know they deserve to get away from you for the weekend, but you need to give us the inside scoop. So to nominate your pastor and their spouse to win an $1,800 weekend away at Cranberry Village, simply go to drewmarshall.ca and click on the man being thrown from a cliff. Then fill out the form and explain why you want to get rid of your pastor. Then on July 25th, we'll randomly draw the winner, which means that the more individual submissions from your church, the greater chance of your pastor winning this. A getaway for two at Cranberry Village, which includes a two-night stay at the Living Water Resort in a one-bedroom condo, a round of golf for two with a lesson from the golf pro, spa session for two, dining for two at Memories Restaurant or Agua Tapas and Wine Bar, bicycle rentals, and boating for two. This prize package is valued at over $1,800. But wait, there's more. We'll also read the top 12 stories during our shows in July. You know, the stories that made us laugh, cry, or stand in awe of your pastor. Then we'll randomly draw from these 12 stories on July 25th and the winner with one of the best reasons to get rid of their pastor will win this. A getaway for two at Cranberry Village, which includes a one-night stay at the Living Water Resort, deluxe room plus one of the following, a round of golf with cart for two, a spa session for two, outdoor bicycle and marina experience, or dining for two at Memories Restaurant and Agua Tapas and Wine Bar. This prize package is valued at over $500. Let's be honest, it really is time to get rid of your pastor for a weekend. For more information, go to drewmarshall.ca and click on the man being thrown from a cliff. Remember, the more individual submissions from your church, the greater chance of your pastor winning an $1,800 weekend get away at Cranberry Village in Collingwood. Submissions will be accepted until June 30th, 2015. One submission per person.